The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. Joy to be with you, and thank you so much for all that you've done, and we love your pastor and Mrs. Ermler and the family, and uh, we feel uh, at home here, and we're grateful for that to be among, really, family and friends. We are family, are we not? After all, we're going to spend eternity, eternity together, and so we better get uh, familiar with each other now and get to liking each other now. Right, because then you're stuck with us and we're stuck with you <laughs> uh, um, one of these days, so to speak. But Pastor, I, uh, when you mentioned that hymn, the last song that we sang, When I Survey the Wonder- Wondrous Cross, I believe it is, uh, that we sang. Is that the one that we sang? Very good. Um, written by Isaac Watts. Um, it reminded me of a story of one of the preachers, uh, and there were scores and scores of preachers that got involved being chaplains and even some of them being uh, uh, Continental Army officers uh, there uh, in the War for Independence. It reminded me of a gentleman by the name of James Caldwell. James Caldwell, uh, of course, would preach very dynamically against the tyranny of Great Britain to the extent where he had a box of pistols or he had, you know, those little single-shot revolvers, if you will, uh, the, the case, uh, a case of two dueling pistols, and he would have his big Bible on the pulpit and then he would open up that, that case of guns right there on the pulpit just in case the British were going to come in and try to take him away uh, in the midst of his preaching. And he dared them to come, so to speak. Of course, back then, I mean, tens of thousands of people had just been saved through the Great Awakening. Churches were being started. God was moving and working. I mean, Benjamin Franklin even said, uh, man, you could go through any village, any city, any town, and as you're walking down the street from block to block, you would hear hymns being sung at night. And before the Great Awakening, it wasn't the case. Uh, But there was a great uh, religious, if you will, there was a great revival that had taken place. And I believe that was providentially done, of course, because of what was about to happen uh, in the War for Independence. And our founding fathers and colonial patriots, they had a heart to uh, give their all because of what we found within the Word of God. And they believed that their rights had been given to them by God. And we've already preached on that and talked about that yesterday. But anyway, James Caldwell... Uh, was just a faithful preacher, but then because of his tenaciousness, unfortunately, there was a, a British team that decided to uh, go to his home and kill his family. And his wife was just working in the kitchen, and a sharpshooter nailed her, and she just died right there in a pool of blood in the kitchen. And the servants quickly gathered the children. They ran out of the back of the house. And Mr. Caldwell heard about that, and he quickly got home and found his wife lying dead, He said, okay, that's it. He said, I'm going to fight. I'm going to war. And uh, there was one point, one of the battles, where the American troops, the Continental Army, we were running out of wadding, paper wadding for our guns. And so, and it had gotten wet or something like that. I can't remember the exact details of the story, but I do remember this. He was on his horse, and he was, of course, riding around, keeping them fired up to stay courageous and stay on the front lines and not to turn tail and become cowards. And when he found out that we were losing paper wadding, he went as fast as he could to a local church and he grabbed hymnals and he galloped back to the front lines and he began to toss hymnals at the troops and he shouted this, give them Watts, boys, give them Watts. And they would literally take Isaac Watts hymnals and they would tear out hymns (laughs) and they would stuff it into their guns and go shoot at the British. What an incredible story. So some American patriot took, when I surveyed the wondrous cross, what we just sang and loaded it, so to speak, into their musket and fired it into the face of the tyranny of Great Britain. Amen? That's a cool story. Uh, We also mentioned uh, uh, Francis Scott Key, and of course he's the author, if you will, the penman of the National Anthem. Of course, in that fourth verse, 
it's alluded there how that uh, we will be victorious, we will stay triumphant and successful as a people, being one nation under God. And from that hymn, from that stanza, from that national anthem came that motto, uh, one nation under God, in God we trust. Well, it's interesting to note uh, that Francis Scott Key was a born-again Christian, and he was a soul winner. Uh, He was a testimony and a witness for Christ. And as Pastor mentioned, we've always had to deal with the Muslims, unfortunately. And there was actually a Muslim congressman back during the early 1800s that was elected. And he was a congressman in Washington, D.C. Francis Scott Key was greatly burdened about this man. And, of course, he knew he was an enemy, (laughs) so to speak. But he, he realized that he needed Jesus. So he stayed faithful and he kept on being a witness and over a period of time, he led that Muslim congressman to the Lord Jesus Christ. Francis Scott Key. Isn't that incredible? Just so much of our history that we've, we've lost sight of, I believe, as Americans. And as Christians, what a wonderful thing it is to be able to reflect upon that. Yes, a two-parter message. Uh, we're going to be preaching out of Second Chronicles 7.14. I believe that you're very familiar with that text. And it's a profound, yet a deep verse that I pray that God will use to stir your heart. And would you join with me there in 2 Chronicles chapter number 7, verse number 14 and 15 are going to be the verses that we're going to read tonight. I believe to any person who truly loves America, we will want to see this promise that God has given become a reality more than anything else. America needs the healing touch of God. Our homes and, of course, our government and just where we're at morally and emotionally, even religiously, we are in need of the great physician. We need that balm of Gilead. And the Bible teaches us and God promises and God says here in 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open, and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with us now for just the next few minutes. Holy Spirit of God, thank you for what we've been able to enjoy tonight together as a family, as a church body, wonderful fellowship, Uh, Lord, the food that was prepared, God being able to worship you and just taking time out of our busy schedule just to sit at your feet tonight and, and really just draw closer to you. Now, Holy Spirit of God, I ask that you would anoint our ears to listen carefully and to listen quickly as we go through your word. And we ask that you'd please help us to be alert and, and uh, um, just aware of the truth that's being presented. And Lord, uh, that we would take it and seek to somehow, some way, personally implement it into our hearts and lives and help us to be transformed more into your image. Help us to grow tonight as a result of the truth uh, that we will learn and we will be reminded of this evening. We ask that you'd anoint uh, me tonight. Help me to be that conduit that you can use for your glory. We love you. Thank you for this passage and this text. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. By way of review, if you remember last night's message preaching about forgotten country, we were there in Romans chapter number 13, verse number 11. And the Bible says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And we referenced last night how that every single day that we live brings us closer to the return of Christ. 
brings us closer to the day that each and every one of us as individuals, we will go home to forever be with Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. I'm looking forward to going to heaven. Amen. Uh, but I would rather just go on God's ta- timetable. I'm not going to rush it, okay? But uh, also, uh, if we were to be sober-minded and not being a pessimist, but being a realist, to understand that if America deserves judgment, which I believe it does, that the more we live and the more time that we allow, allow to elapse brings us closer to that moment when God will say, enough is enough. And the gavel will fall and God's judgment will come down upon this nation. Does America deserve judgment? Well, what do you think? Slaughtering three unborn babies on average a minute. Legalizing same-gender union. I refuse to call it marriage because it's not. Immorality running rampant. Ungodly laws being passed. Religious freedom being underneath attack. Pedophiles being allowed to use the same restroom with Ladies with women with girls, kindergarten classes, receiving lessons and reading books on transgenderism, liberals viciously attempting to dethrone God in every aspect of our culture, churches, of course, being under attack for preaching simply Bible truth, fundamental churches compromising to think that last year 800 Baptist churches closed their doors. Researchers say that 65% of my grandparents' generation is going to some type of a church faithfully. Now, for a moment, just look around the room. And you'll see not my generation of predominance here tonight. 65% of my grandparents were the uh, generation from the 40s and the 50s and and that era. They, they, They are the ones that are going to some type of a church as a very broad term, any kind of denomination, any kind of religion. Only 35% of my parents' generation, so to speak, is going to a church faithfully. And researchers say that now only 4% of the current teen generation will become Bible-believing Christians. We're to a point where the number of unchurched people in America, if they made their own nation, would become the eighth most populous country in the world. George Barnett did a survey here recently. And asked evangelicals, hey, how many of you have a biblical worldview? That's, that's the kind of mindset that we should have, amen? Everything we do, we're just filtering it through the word of God, seeking to glorify the Lord and being tethered, being tethered to scriptural principle, being in sync with the spirit and always wanting to do what God would have us to do. And, and he was just curious, how many of you have a biblical worldview? An anonymous survey was done and he was appalled by what he discovered. Only 9% of evangelical Christians, now that's you know, Mormons, Catholics, I mean any person who calls themselves Christian, all right? And then he said, that's, that is just, no, something's wrong. Okay, we're going to go ahead and survey just born-again Christians. I know, I know what that is, don't you? Hey, that rings a bell, that's me. How many of you have a biblical worldview? And it came back, only 19%. And ladies and gentlemen, we're just, if you will, concluding the thought of what we were preaching last night about being a conscious generation and that knowing the time to be alert, to be aware, to be engaged, to to be sober minded and, and even to be serious. Why? Because we're at war, folks. Satan is not playing games. I think about what one gentleman used to sing, a guy by the name of Lester Roloff. He would sing it and he was half, you know, half off key, you know, most of the time and He would sing the song, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. 
A fight and not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I'm here to stay. Now, what gives us the courage? What gives us the strength and the capability and the character to stay in the fight? Because we're no match for God. Oh, we're no match for them. But they are no match for our God. And last night we concluded about preaching on the concept of being a confident generation. Someone who is going to be dependent upon the Lord. Someone who is going to have that heart like a Gideon. That heart like a a, a David. That heart like we find so many times in the word of God. Someone who realizes, hey, if God be for us, hey, who could be against us? Might be a little uneasy. I mean, just three young men standing in the midst of a crowd of thousands that just bowed their knee to Baal, but well, we ain't going to bend, we ain't going to bow. And what happened? Well, they didn't burn. But rather, as a result, God used their testimony of truth to turn the heart of a king toward the ways of righteousness. Praise God for the testimony of someone who's going to stay true. I, I think just for a moment about the life and the character of Jonathan. I love this story. And Jonathan, the Bible talks about Jonathan and his armor bearer there in 1 Samuel chapter number 14. The Bible says that the enemies of God, there were more in number than the eye could count. There was 6,000 horsemen. I believe there was 30,000 chariots. Now, that was, that's kind of like a foot soldier going against a tank. You just don't do it, all right? And King Saul, of course, he was head and shoulders above all the people, and he had great stature. He was a leader, a warrior. He had about 600 men, but instead of being on the front lines, the Bible says that he tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah. He ran to the opposite side of the country, if you will, from where the invasion was going to commence. And everybody else, the Bible says, they hid themselves in holes. They cowered away in caves, but there was two guys, Jonathan and his armor bearer. Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. This was basically a suicide mission. They can see all the tents. The Bible actually says there was more than the sand of the sea, if you will. There was more, I mean, it was just innumerable, insurmountable odds. And I find this to be so encouraging. What Jonathan said to his armor bearer in 1 Samuel 14, verse number 6, he said, it may be that the Lord will work for us. He says, basically, I have no idea what's going to happen. Maybe God's going to do something in this. I don't know. Of course, he understood this is where God would have us to be. Whether we be many or few, this is where we ought to be. So we're going to stand. He said, it may be that the Lord will work for us. And here it is. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And you will find it time and again that God does not need a majority To make a difference. Now, does God want a majority? Absolutely. He wants everybody living for the Lord. He wants everybody saved. He wants churches in every single community. I mean, listen, he wants the truth to go out loud and clear. I mean, being blasted from the housetops, as the Lord Jesus Christ said. He wants that, but sometimes that's not the case. And I don't know exactly the day and age in which we live here in America, what the ratio would be of sold out, determined Christians compared to the rest of America. But we must have a heart uh, just like Joshua who's not going to look at everybody else and kind of put their finger up in the air and see what the temperature is and what the fat is and what the trend is and what the ebb and flow of culture is and what everybody else is going to do. But have the heart and the desire and the old-fashioned grit. And here's the word, commitment. As for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. And we're not going to do it in a spirit of, I'm better than you. Look at me, you're not right with God. It's not that. It's hypocrisy and nonsense. It's sin. That stuff is sin. But rather, you know what? I'm just going to serve the Lord. Maybe the Lord will use my life to be an example to others, to be a testimony of faithfulness. I don't know. That's not why I'm doing it. But maybe God can use me. But, but all I know is that God wants to use me. And God will use me if I will let him. God has created within every single heart and every single person in this room a free will. We can choose to do whatever it is that we see fit to do. I mean, like literally right now, I could do a cartwheel on the, on the, on the, up here on the front. Now, I'm not going to do it because I'll probably break something. <laughs> I mean, so could you. I mean, some random person like the pastor's daughter in the back could just go into a spaz attack and throw a hymn book across the auditorium and knocks this guy in the head. I mean, you, that, you, you could do that, right? But you ain't going to do that. Please don't do that. I know these are drastic and random and, and, and ludicrous, if you will, illustrations, but it just goes to show that you have a free will. God will never impose himself upon that free will. Now, God has a way for you, and it's always best. It's always blessed. <laughs> His will is, is good, acceptable, and it's perfect. It's, it's two thumbs up awesome. It's incredible. Once you live it and experience it, if you have had life to live all over again, you would go back and do the same thing that he led and did. And in the areas where you went astray, you would <laughs> want to align that with the Lord. And wise is the person who comes to that point of surrender, as my wife and I sang about, where we're committed. We're going to come to that point of, of Romans 12, 1 and 2 and become that living sacrifice. We're going to have that heart and that desire as uh, Isaiah there in Isaiah chapter number 6, when he saw God and he said, wow, look at God, man, just high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. He saw God, he said, wow, look at God. And then, of course, he got the right view of himself. He said, whoa, W-O-E, look at me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And once he got right with the Lord, and we'll hint, talk about that tomorrow night, once he got right with the Lord, you'll find that God asked a question. Who will I send? Who, who will go for us? Who can I use? Who will be that, if you will, instrument, that vessel, that voice in his generation to make a mark for truth and to advance my heavenly kingdom. Who can I use? And what did, what did Isaiah say? He said, here am I, Lord. Send me. I love this. It's so profound. It's simple, but so profound. And it's so convicting. So convicting to me. He said, here am I. This means that he was willing to be used. Well, he raised his hand and he stepped forward. Okay, I'll step out of the crowd. That'll be me. I'll be a volunteer. I'll, I'll go. And God is looking for that kind of sacrifice in everyone to surrender, to dedicate their lives to the Lord, to put God first. Amen? Here am I. But then it didn't stop there where he was just willing. He said, send me. Now this puts a whole new spin on it because it shows us that he was wanting to be used. Have you ever worked with kids? I know you folks have all the time. And if you ever maybe doing a vacation Bible school or something, or maybe your grandchildren, you know, you ask for a volunteer or you ask somebody for their help um, or, or something along those lines, and what happens, especially in children? Ooh, pick me! <laughs> especially in junior church or vacation Bible school or something. It's, it's crazy because, like, all of them 
oh, please, I want to race in that contest. I want to participate. And it's like, you know, you only need two people. And if you don't pick on this one person, it's like they're going to have a heart attack and die, you know? I mean, they're jumping up and down out of their seat. I mean, they're doing everything they can to get your attention. They got both hands in the air. They're jumping up and down, maybe. And I know this may sound a little crazy, but it it works for me. We're, We're children of God. Always will be his child once we're born again. And we ought to be willing. Here am I, Lord. I'll stand in the gap. But where's that desire, maybe? That fire, that enthusiasm, that, that passion, that burning within, as we kind of hinted at the other night, where it's like, oh, God, ooh, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me, use me to bring someone to church. Pick me to, man, to give that person a gospel track. Pick me to, to lead someone to the Lord. Pick me to serve in this capacity or that or to, to help pastor with this ministry or, or maybe help someone in need or whatever it might be. The list of application runs long and maybe the Lord can bring something specific to your mind. But more than just going through the formality of being surrendered and being a sacrifice of saying, yes, Lord, I'm willing for you to use me. Oh, that we would find someone who's spiritually deep down within. I'm not talking about necessarily some outward antic, all right? But I'm talking about something that's burning, something that's building deep down within where we say, yes, oh God, please use me. I beg of you. If you don't, I'm going to be disappointed. (laughs) Here am I, send me. You know, the greatest ability is availability. Why? Because we have nothing to glory of. We have nothing in and of ourselves. Any talent or ability, so to speak, that we might have, it came from God anyway in the first place. And all God is looking for is someone who is willing and someone who's wanting. A gentleman by the name of D.L. Moody, young preacher there, he was leaning against the railing on a, on a boat, riverboat as they were going downstream, and an older pastor, an older preacher was investing in him and sharing some wisdom with him and this older preacher told this young Dwight, this, this guy from Chicago, this preacher, he said, you know, Dwight, the world is yet to see what God could do with and through and by the man who is fully consecrated to him. That word consecrated simply means fully surrendered, completely surrendered. I mean, you're all in. Amen. And, and that really struck a chord with him, and, and that really spoke to him. And w- when the conversation was over, as was just now Dwight and the Lord, as he's leaning there looking out in the scenery, he said, Lord, in his heart, he said, Lord, I want to be that man. And he didn't look back. He didn't care what other people thought. He just went forward, and he just wanted to serve the Lord to the maximum. Amen? experienced God and all that he had prepared for him in the realm of eternity. He wanted to experience that to the full extent here upon the earth. He did not want to live just an ordinary life or experience the status quo, but he wanted everything. He wanted to squeeze God dry. (laughs) And we see how that God used him in a wonderful way. But then on his deathbed, Deal Moody said, you know, the world is still yet to see. God could do with and through and by the man who's fully consecrated to him. And tonight, may our hearts have that desire. I will be. I want to be that man. 
Now, why have we taken so much time to preach on all this random stuff and not even get to the verse yet? Have, have you been thinking that already? <laughs> it's fine if you have. I understand. My mind runs like that sometimes too when I hear preaching. What's the end game here? The Bible starts with a two-letter word in verse number 14. It's super, super small, but it's super, super big. What's the first word of 2 Chronicles 7.14? Do you realize that it starts with you and your desire and your willingness, your wantingness to get involved? Now, what is God's will for your life? Well, He wants to use you. And He will use you. If you have come to that point of full surrender. We see here, He says, if... My people. If, what a profound word, it can go either direction. And I believe tonight that, of course, as we see those three words, if my people, that the fate of our nation does not rest with the infidel. It rests with us, the people of God. Because God wasn't speaking to the lost here. He was speaking to his own children, if you will, and applying it to today. Hey, if my people. I wonder tonight if we have the initiative maybe a spiritual excitement of vibrancy a a heart of revival where we're ignited and enthusiasm understanding that god has placed us here to live upon the earth for such a time as this you know we've mentioned guys like dl moody and we could talk about others there's a guy by the name of ct stud we have a booklet on the back table about his life you can see the subtle way of why I mentioned him was so that way I could put in a little commercial for the back table. <laughs> but, I mean, he was the Michael Jordan of his day, the Tiger Woods of his day. Turned his back on fame and fortune, and he served the Lord as a missionary and as a pastor overseas. And even, even in his 60s and 70s, man, he was over in Africa, and God was using him in a great way. By the way, you're never too old to serve the Lord. Case in point, my dad, <laughs> he got saved at the age of 32, out of a life of drugs and alcohol, and he was a construction engineer for the Department of Transportation for New York. God began to work in his heart. At the age of 55, he took an early retirement. He's 71 now. He said, you know what I want to do for the rest of my life? I want to go to these big you know, areas, these big parades, these big gatherings, and pass out gospel tracts and work with local churches. He's going to the inauguration. He said, I can't get in the ticketed area, so I guess I'm going to be out with the protesters. Pray for me, son. Now, he's not turning people off. There's a way that it can be done right. There's some people who have a great position on things, but they've got a bad disposition. Preaching down, I'm not going to even get into all that. But, but there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Do it the right way, amen? Be sweet, be careful, be gracious. Speak the truth, but in love. Of course, he's a wonderful, wonderful witness and so wonderful the Lord. But man, he's 71 years old, traveling across the country, just passing out tracks. Since 55, he's passed out personally a million gospel tracks. That's my dad, amen? <laughs> Whew. Praise the Lord for that. But we must understand this, and, and I'm sorry to deviate for a moment, but we talked about reference like a D.L. Moody and others, a C.T. Stud. C.T. Stud, he said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Naked came we into this world, and guess what? Naked you're going out. 
And I know that you might be buried in a fancy dress or a wonderful suit or a tux, but that's staying here. And you're going home to glory. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves do break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because after all, that's where you're going to spend the most time. Think about it, 100 billion years will be the first second on the clock of eternity. And there is no clock in heaven. But to give you an illustration, and forever we will be with the Lord, but understand, this is what we're trying to get to tonight if we'll ever get there. Hey, we are not the leftovers. God gave Billy Sunday and a Shubal Stearns in Baptist history and, and so many others, Amy Carmichael and C.T. Studd and D.L. Moody and I mean the countless of, of people that God used in a phenomenal way, names that we don't even know but in heaven. Wow, we'll hear the stories and we'll see how that God used them to be a tremendous influence upon the earth. Hey, God gave them their day to live. And they are not alive today. But you are. And I am. We're not the fifth or sixth string of substitute players on the bench. And it's like, oh, we're in the fourth quarter. There's full court press. The devil in his crowd is just getting so bad out there. We're losing this thing big time. All right, whatever. Go in there. Go play. Go feel like you're important. That's not what God is saying to you and to me. But God has chosen you. God has handpicked you. God has designated your life to live right now in this generation for such a time as this. And if God has called you to live today, God can equip you to live effectively today. God can use you to make a difference in this day. If we're willing to accept that call, surrender and answer the call. Are you still with me tonight? Would you say amen? If my people, which are what? Called by my name. God has a calling on your life. The question is, will you listen, will you hear it, and will you answer it? I think about what the Bible says and what God used the Apostle Paul to pen there in the book of Philippians. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, God has a calling upon every single one of our lives. There are people that God can use you to reach. I'm looking at, brother, is it Yank? Is that correct? Hank? I'm so sorry. I just made a, I just put a foot in my mouth, all right? That is different from this gentleman right here. And there's people that you're going to reach that's different from this gentleman right here. And there's people that she can reach and lives that she can influence and impact that's different from this gentleman, from this lady, and it goes on further, more and more and more. And the Bible says, and the Bible is trying to get, help us to get the right perspective, that the will of God, that the call of God, which are called by my name, people who are going to answer the call, be willing and be wanting to be used, to be surrendered. Yes, oh God, pick me, use me, I pray, to turn the tide in America, to change the direction of this nation. It's a high calling. Do you realize that the work of the Lord, it's the greatest thing that you could ever accomplish in your life? The Bible also teaches us in Hebrews 3, verse number 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Do you realize that what God would have you to do, that it has come from the very mouth of God himself? 
It has not come from some angelic bureaucracy, but rather from the King of Kings himself. He has, as the Bible says in John 16, 15, I believe that is the, is the text. He says, I have chosen you. I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth much fruit. It's a heavenly calling. I love what David Livingston said. He was a missionary in Africa, an explorer there in Africa. He said, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by our heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? If I was to get a phone call right now from Barack Hussein Obama, first I'd be wondering, how did you get my number? <laughs> but he said, you know what, Mr. Garraway? South Sudan is breaking out in a civil war. I heard that you went at some point. And when you went, you actually were in the country while they were in the midst of civil war. And that's a true story. But if he was to call me and say, Mr. Garraway, I want you to be an ambassador for America and try to negotiate and represent my office in this country, would you go and, and would you be a voice for us and would you help me in that? That would, wow, that's, that's incredible. The commander-in-chief has called me to ask if I could help with an emergency on the behalf of my nation. Wow, that would be an honor, wouldn't it? But yet God has a calling. And he's got your number. <laughs> and foolish of us to say, Lord, how'd you get that? Well, he's the one that made you, amen. But let's answer the call. Lord, what, what, what would you have... I mean, this is coming straight from the top, and I don't mean to diminish the office of God or disrespect the Lord tonight, but do you realize the King of Kings wants to use you? And you'll also find in the New Testament that the Bible says that the calling of God, if my people which are called by my name, it is a holy calling. It is the greatest thing you could ever do, but it is the most sacred thing you could ever do. What an opportunity, but at the same time, what a responsibility. Nature is not leading people to the Lord, even though it does show that, wow, there's a divine creator. The angels, who are constantly interacting with the eternal and the spiritual and the physical, and they're messengers of God, are our guardians, if you will, and even helping us in times when we don't even know it. Can't wait to talk to my guardian angel. How about you? All the close calls. <laughs> Things I'm even unaware of that they helped prevent, maybe, as we just lived for the Lord and followed His will. But those angels, the Bible says, they look into it, man, and they're eager about it. Man, they, Lord, why don't you let us do it? We can see you, and we can see them. We know the urgency. I mean, heaven and hell, the lake of fire, being with you, the streets of gold, we saw you there on the cross of Calvary as your own mother, Mary, couldn't even recognize you because you were so disfigured and marred. We know that you are the Son of God. We know that you bring hope and life and restoration. We understand fully that message of love that you have for every person that you want them to enjoy. God, why don't you use us? He says, no, I want to use my children. And ladies and gentlemen, it is a wonderful thing but yet a sobering thing to understand that we must be conscious, confident. That we ought to be committed, surrendered. You in your heart, you have to make a decision. I, I'm never going to twist anybody's arm. It's between you and the Lord. Would you be willing? Would you want to be used? 
in whatever capacity it is that God has for your life. In conclusion, I want to mention this. The church is a body. And a body has many members. I would look really weird if I was one big giant eyeball. I would look really weird if I was one big toe. (laughs) Maybe a little smelly. But you know what? A body is made up of many members. And every single one of us, we have a function and we have a part to make up a body. And may God use us to fulfill that. Why? So that we as a church, as a lighthouse in this community, can reach our full potential and see God do a wonderful thing and continue to bless this ministry in miraculous ways that he has right now prepared for Crown Point Baptist Church. But we've got to answer the call. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.